The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Let's get serious about Jesus. Let's get serious about Jesus. The modern American church is not serious about Jesus. The modern American church is very serious about its rituals, its church calendar, its concerts and entertainment. For the most part, Millennials and young people don't want anything to do with the church. They recognize that in America, it is largely a a country club. It's a social gathering that's not serious about Jesus. No one is willing to lay down their life for Jesus. And so usually when we talk about Jesus, and I've been guilty of this, It is more sentimental 
than it is objective and real. It's about feelings. But when we get real about Jesus, it's no longer, it's no longer about sentimentality. It's about getting real. It's about life and death. It's time to get real in the church in America about Jesus. I want to share with you several stories out of the scripture today, one right after another, out of the book of Matthew. I want you to see the reality of who Jesus is and what he calls for. We begin with Jesus going up beyond Magdala on the Sea of Galilee into a a barren area, a dry area, quite a distance from any town, distant from Magdala. And crowds follow him because he's healing their sick and he's speaking to them in such a manner that their eyes are being opened to the emptiness of the Jewish religion of that day, which is primarily about rituals and rules and sentimentality, even as it is in America today. But Jesus is real, and he is calling for total commitment of laying down your life. And he's speaking about laying down his life And he's saying, you must do it too. He's speaking about the kingdom of heaven. So we find in the book of Matthew, the 15th chapter, great multitudes, thousands of people are are coming to listen to him in this barren place. They brought with them the lame and the blind, the mute, the deformed, And many of them, they simply laid down on the ground in front of Jesus. And he healed them all. He restored them. So the thousands of people who were there were marveling about this. They'd never seen anything like it. They'd never seen blind people suddenly restored and have full sight. They'd never seen a crippled man begin to run and shout and jump. Jesus, after three days of teaching, of healing, of restoring, he said to his disciples, look, everyone's been here for three days. They've run out of food. We need to feed these people. I can't send them away hungry and starving. The disciples said to him, wait, wait, wait. There's so many people here. How could we even begin to feed this crowd? They've already forgotten about the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus asked them a question. How many loaves, how many loaves, barley loaves, how many loaves do you have? They said, we have seven loaves and we have a, a few small fish. That's all the disciples had collectively. They too were running out of food. So he commanded that the multitude sit down and make themselves comfortable. Sit down on the ground. And he takes these seven loaves and he begins to break them and hand them out to the disciples to share with the people. He does the same thing with the fish after he has said a blessing upon the food. He broke them and he gave them to the disciples and the disciples took them out to the thousands of people who were waiting, eager hands reaching for the bread and the fish. When everyone had had everything they wanted, Jesus didn't want them to waste anything and so they went around with baskets and picked up 
the bread and the fish that nobody had eaten. They had served 4,000 men plus women and children. Probably eight to 10,000 people had been in that crowd. And then he sent the multitude away. Their bellies full. Their sicknesses healed, restored. And he got in the boat. And they went toward Magdala, which was right on the Sea of Galilee. It was a a town for processing fish. It's where the disciples had already many times taken their boatloads and sold them. The fish would be processed, salted down, and shipped off to Rome. Now, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they've been watching all of this. And they came and asked Jesus for a sign. Jesus was disgusted with them. And he said, you will not receive any sign except the sign of Jonah the prophet. And he left them behind. He wouldn't even talk with them. So the disciples got in the boat with him and they went again to the far side. But they forgot to bring any bread with them. People had eagerly taken the baskets of food to share with their families. And there was none for the disciples. And Jesus said to them, You must watch out and pay attention on account of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. This is Matthew 16 and verse 7. But they were reasoning among themselves, saying, It is because we took no bread. But Jesus knowing what they were saying, said, O you of little faith, why are you reasoning among yourselves because you brought no bread? Do you not yet understand nor remember the five loaves and the five thousand and how many baskets you took up? Not even the seven loaves or the four thousand and how many baskets you took up? How do you not understand that I spoke not to you concerning bread, but to be aware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And then they understood. He was not telling them to beware of the leaven of bread, but the teachings of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Well, Jesus rebukes them because He has demonstrated his ability to provide all of the food necessary. He's demonstrated that he can produce food out of nothing. He can feed thousands of people with much left over. But now he rebukes them and warns them about the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Well, what is that leaven? The leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees is their absolute commitment to the rituals, man-made rituals, like on the Sabbath day, you cannot carry an extra handkerchief. That's breaking the Sabbath. On the Sabbath, you cannot take too many steps. You must only take the number of steps allowed. Well, all of these are just Man, flesh, rules, rituals. Most of what the American church teaches today is likewise just man-made rituals. It's not the gospel of Jesus. The gospel of Jesus is that wonderful message that says, by the blood of Jesus Christ, we can leave all our sin. By the blood of Jesus Christ, we too can be crucified with him and made clean and even have the old nature of Adam destroyed in us, that we can live clean before God, that we can live a victorious life. That's not taught in the church today. No, they teach the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. 
If we're going to take Jesus seriously, we're going to have to read the word and believe what it says and stop giving it a twisted, man-made interpretation. We're going to have to take Jesus at his word. He said what he meant, and he meant what he said. So if you're going to take Jesus seriously, you're going to have to take him seriously. You're going to have to stop playing the game of the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Oh, it's very entertaining. You know, we've we've learned to get people into the church by bringing in the concerts and the bands and the big names. We've learned how to market. But the church is dead in America. We are scorned by the world and by the by the atheists, by the pagans. I saw a video of a of a couple that I've been praying for. And I saw as they were videoing making a video a video of their home, I saw a huge cast of Buddha. And they're Buddhists. They're not interested in Jesus. They've never seen a real Christian. I have a friend who I've been trying to share Jesus with. And they angrily said to me, I'm a Buddhist. Don't talk to me about Jesus. Well, why would they have that attitude? Because they've never seen who Jesus is. It's just the cheap, sentimental Jesus. Not the Jesus who reigns in heaven and over earth. Not the Jesus who can change the the grape juice or the water into wine. Not the Jesus who can heal the lame and restore the sight to the blind. Not the Jesus who calls for men and women to leave behind everything of the world and the flesh and the devil and walk in love clean, washed, made new. I've never seen that. So Buddhism seems very attractive to them because it's a way of getting centered. Hinduism also seems very satisfying because you can pray to many different gods, the elephant god and Vishnu and many other gods. And frankly, some of the teachings are some of the superficial teachings of the Christian church. He rebukes the disciples. Now Jesus leads his disciples some distance away from the Sea of Galilee. It's probably a day's walk. And he leads them to a to a specific place, Caesarea Philippi. I've I've driven to Caesarea Philippi. I went there for the same reason Jesus went. I wanted to see where Jesus stood when he made these comments to his disciples and revealed to them his glorious nature and the nature of the crucifixion. He questioned his disciples once they arrived at Caesarea Philippi, saying, The men declare me the Son of Man to be whom? Who do men say that I am? Well, they said, Some say you're John the Baptist, because John the Baptist had been beheaded already by the cruel King Herod. Others say "You're, you're Elijah. Some say Jeremiah, one of the prophets. But he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter speaks up, and he answers, You are the Messiah. You are the Son of the living God. Now that's an astounding revelation. 
that they now believe that he is the creator God of heaven and earth, and he's in the flesh, and he is with them. Jesus answers and says, this is Matthew 16, verse 17, you are blessed, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father, the one in the heaven. Now, I also say to you that you are Peter. But upon this massive bedrock, I will build my church. The word Peter is in the masculine. The word bedrock is not in the same gender. It is a familiar feminine gender. Now, I want you to get this picture. He says, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not win a victory over her. Well, what's he saying? Well, he's standing in Caesarea Philippi on bedrock facing a cliff. And that cliff has an opening, a large cave opening. And from that cave opening is gushing water. And then in cutouts around this opening, there are cutouts in the rock, in the rock face. There are images of the goat gods. Now beside that, there is built a temple. This is a place of sacred worship for pagans. And, and facing this opening in the, in the cave rock where the water is gushing out, it was believed that this was the entrance into the underworld. They believed it was the entrance into hell. And Jesus, looking at that opening, says, I will build my church right here on this huge bedrock we're standing on. And the gates of hell will not be able to withstand it. And I will give to you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is the keeper of the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And he's saying, I'm going to allow you to cooperate with heaven. And I'm going to allow you to accomplish things in the spirit that you can only accomplish with the keys of heaven that I possess. So what you bind on earth is what is already bound in heaven. And what you loose on earth is what has already been loosed in heaven. I'm going to give you the authority to do what is necessary, that the gates of hell will not be able to withstand you. These demonic gods will not be able to stand up against you. Well, today the demonic gods are standing up against the Christian church in America, and the Christian church is folding in its own sentimental slop. The Christian church is folding in its own entertainment and effeminate pastors who teach that you can't leave your sin because the power of the blood to these men and women is weak. I want to tell you something today. Please hear me. The blood of Jesus Christ is the most powerful element in the universe. And if it cannot remove sin from your life, if it cannot break the power of the old Adam nature in your life, then I don't want anything to do with the Christian gospel. It's a false gospel. It's not good news. It's bad news. Don't tell me that I'm going to have to continue being ravished by the devil until finally I die and then I can go to heaven and be made holy. That's a lie. Let's get real. If the power of the blood of Jesus cannot take 
a homosexual and restore him to the fullness of the gospel of Jesus, then I don't want the gospel. If the gospel of Jesus does not have the power to break the addiction of drugs, if the gospel of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, does not have the power to set me free from bitterness and anger and fornication, I don't want the gospel of Jesus. I have to have a real gospel. I have to have something that is powerful. I shared yesterday the dream I had as three great serpents came at me to devour me. And I rushed at them in the name of Jesus, and they turned and fell over themselves, fleeing from me. Already this morning, my neighbor came to me, full of despair, not a Christian, a pagan, never read the Bible. I said to my neighbor, I am praying for you and the powers of darkness will flee from you. How could I dare say that? Because it's true. The blood of Jesus can drive the demons away, bind their power, cast them out. He he commanded his disciples... told them they had the power. Now earlier, he had given them the power to heal the sick and raise the dead. He'd given them the power to proclaim this kingdom. This was before the fullness of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on them. They went out and had that power. We do not have that power today. I don't have that power today. I have to be real with Jesus, and I have been. And this morning I've been crying out to him and saying, Jesus, I want to be real with you. I need your presence. I can do nothing without you. I'll show you that in just a moment in the scripture. Now, Jesus begins to speak in a very real way for the first time to his disciples about his death and his resurrection. He said, it's necessary for me to go to Jerusalem and there I'm going to suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes. They're going to put me to death. They're going to crucify me. And on the third day, I'm going to be resurrected. This is, this is found in Mark 8, 31 to 33. It's also found in Luke 9, 22. The same story. Peter immediately calls Jesus aside from the disciples. And in verse 22, we find him beginning to rebuke the very one he said a few minutes ago was literally the Messiah, the son of the living God. He's forgotten all about that now. Now it's Peter and Jesus. We're friends. And he's saying to him, no, Lord, be it far from you. This thing will never happen to you. We're not going to allow you to be crucified. No. But Jesus turns directly to Peter and he says to him, You must get behind me, Satan. Do you remember he said that to the devil when the devil suggested temptations in the wilderness that Jesus should bow down and worship him. He said, get behind me, Satan. He said to Peter, you are an offense to me because you are thinking not of the things of God, but of the things of men. Now, please, 
If you're willing with me to get real with Jesus, you're going to hear some things that are going to be very offensive to your human nature. You're going to hear some things that will contradict what you've been told. You're going to hear things that will frighten you. Jesus, one man said, and I've never forgotten it, Jesus is not a tame wolf. He's not a tame lion. He's very dangerous. He is God. And we best fear him and not play sentimental games with him and not think that by entertainment we can win the lost to him. We cannot win the lost with entertainment and with a Jesus that is anemic and weak. You know, I think pagans want a Jesus who's real, who's strong, who cannot be defeated. Get behind me, Satan. You are thinking only the ways of men. Well, now let me share with you the next sentence in the book of Matthew where Jesus begins to get very real with Peter and with the disciples. And please, you've heard the story. You know the context now. I want you to know what it will mean if you're willing to get real with Jesus. This is Matthew 16, verse 24. If anyone wills to come after me, the first thing that you must desire is you must desire to leave behind your pagan ways. You must desire to leave behind your comfort and your lies. And you must begin to speak the truth to yourself. You must desire Jesus or you will not will to come after him. Many will never will to come after Jesus. It is far too expensive. It will cost you everything. He must deny himself, that is, he must disown himself. You must want to begin to follow Jesus, and you must recognize that the first step in following Jesus is to say, I don't know me anymore. I am going to live now a totally new and different life. I'm not going to go to the same television shows. I'm not going to go to the same entertainment. I'm not going to go to the same wickedness. I'm not going to go to the same accusations and bitterness. I'm not going to go to the same gambling. I'm not going to go to the same unforgiveness. I'm not going to go to the same... Pornography and fornication. I know some of you today are shacked up with somebody you're not married to. And yet you call yourself a Christian and you even give some tithe and offerings. I'm telling you, You may want to follow Jesus, but you better count the cost. This is real. This is life and death. And if you, as cultural Christian, still walking in your darkness, have any desire in your heart that is beyond simply sentimental slop, then you're going to have to deny yourself you're going to have to say no. No. No to that way of life. No to those attitudes. No to that self-condemnation. No, you must become now a new person in Jesus Christ. You must deny yourself. And you must take up your cross And you must follow me. And you know, I've said many times, he is on his way to Golgotha. 
You've got to go and be crucified with Christ. Romans, the sixth chapter. You must be crucified. What do I mean? I mean that desire for ascendancy and success, your dreams and your bucket list all have to go to the cross. The lust of your heart for anything must go to the cross. It must die. For whoever may will to save his life will lose it, but whoever may lose his life for my sake will find it. Have you lost your life for Jesus? Let's get real. If you're still counting on your job, and you're still counting on your lifestyle, if you're still counting on your retirement and your savings, and you're still counting on your friends, and your family. You're not saved. You're going to have to leave all of that behind. It's going to have to be secondary. It's going to have to be in your heart and indifference toward. And then you must follow Jesus and go where he tells you and do what he tells you to do. For what does a man profit if he may gain the whole world and may suffer the loss of his soul? So what will it gain for you if you have a comfortable retirement? You have your house, you have your car, you have your bucket list of things you want to do, you have the cruises you want to go on, you have your entertainment, you have your hobbies, you have a comfortable life. So what? What's it going to gain for you? You can, you can have your life but you're going to lose your soul. The Lord is going to come with his angels and he's going to reward each of you according to what your activity is. Now, I want to read for you another passage. It's a familiar one, but we need to to understand it. I've, I've read this passage so many times, but it's taken time for me to let it begin to sink into my soul and recognize what it means and what it says to me. Listen, I am the vine. You are... You are the branches. I'm the vine, the true one, and my father is the vine dresser, and every branch in me not bearing fruit He cuts it off, and every branch bearing fruit, he always prunes. Well, what is the fruit? It's in Galatians, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, long-suffering, the fruit of the Spirit. But it's also the production for the kingdom of God. It's saving the lost. It's investment in the kingdom of heaven, money, time, energy. And you're going to be pruned by the Father. You can't prune. You can't prune and not lose your foliage. Your security. He prunes so that we're clean and we can bear fruit. says, you must remain in union with me and I with you. And just as the branch is not able to bear fruit from itself, if it may not remain in the vine, so neither can you if you may not remain in union with me. That's not in union with your denomination. It's not in union with your church. It's union with Jesus. I am the vine. You are the branches. The one remaining in union with me and I with him, this one bears much fruit because apart from me, you are not able to do anything. May I say this to you in way of confession? I have tried all of my life 
to bear much fruit for Jesus. But in recent years, he's been pruning me. The father's been pruning me and he's cut off from me all of those things that I so earnestly spent my time doing. He allows me now to come and do this radio broadcast and he has assigned me a small home church. I mean small. And this radio broadcast is a very small broadcast. Small footprint. Very few people. I mean, right now, my computer tells me we have five people who are watching this broadcast on YouTube. How many on the radio? I don't know. How many more will listen later? I don't know. We're only running about 2,000 downloads a month on podcasts. It's a small ministry. Why? Because this is what the Lord has given me. I cannot bear anything apart from him. And I've proven that I could not bear anything apart from him. He's told me that he will produce for me in one day more than I could produce in my entire life. Meaning, stop doing anything in the flesh, Ray. Lay aside your expectation that you're going to be a great success. Give up all hope of you doing anything of significance for God. I have. I've given that up. I now come and I've gotten real with Jesus and I know he's told me I'm to wait upon him and so I'm waiting on Jesus and I, in the prayer time this morning, said, Lord, it's a great honor to wait upon you, to not be out trying to create something, to not try to build something, but to simply wait upon you because you told me you would do more in one day than I could do in my entire lifetime of labor and struggle. So I am waiting upon the Lord. I am reading the scriptures. I am praying. I am earnestly seeking his face. I'm waiting on Jesus. And I'm going where he tells me to go and I'm doing what he tells me to do. And sometimes it seems utterly foolish, but I do it. Verse seven, this is John 15, verse seven. If you may remain in union with me and my words may remain in you, you will ask whatever you may, whatever you may desire, and it will be It will be done for you. It will happen for you. By this my Father was glorified that you may bear much fruit and you will prove to be my disciples. I want to remain in Jesus and I want to produce much fruit. But I recognize that I cannot produce that fruit that fruit must be produced by Jesus himself. Now let's get real. Everything of the human flesh must be laid aside and crucified with Christ. My sinful nature has to be crucified and laid aside with Jesus Christ, and I have done that. I want to tell you that there is great power in the blood of Jesus Christ. And the demons flee from the blood of Jesus Christ and from the man or woman who is covered in that precious blood. Right now, when I speak to demons, they flee. I rejoice in that. 
He's not given me the authority to heal the sick yet. I'm waiting on that. He's not given me the fullness of the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm praying about that. I have precious brothers and sisters in the faith who are desperately ill and who need the healing power of God. They're going to die if he does not heal them. But I know healing only comes in the name of Jesus, and it's only administered by men and women who have died to themselves. You want the Holy Spirit? The condition for receiving the Holy Spirit must be total denial of self, of our ways. We must take up our cross and we must follow Jesus. In other words, we must die out. People say to me, Pastor, how do I overcome this wickedness in my heart? I hate it. How can I overcome it? You must die out to it. That's the only way you'll overcome it. And you die out to it by confessing it to Jesus and asking him to give you a full crucifixion on this issue. And you claim in the name of Jesus, I am dead to this thing. It is gone from me. In the name of Jesus, I will no longer, whatever it is. And the blood of Jesus cleanses you and breaks its power. Now, it may mean that for a while you have to take time and consider the root of that issue. And when you've gotten to the root of it, By the blood of Jesus, you dig that root out of your soul and you cast it out and it's gone and it doesn't come back. If you've been confessing some specific sin and it keeps coming back and you confess it and then it comes back, you confess it and it comes back, you still love that sin. And you're going to have to confess to Jesus your love for that wickedness and be responsible for it. And then in the name of Jesus, cast it out. And ask Jesus to put that thing to death in you. You see, righteousness does not come by hard work. Righteousness does not come by white-knuckling it. Righteousness is a gift. It is a free gift by the blood of Jesus. Victory over sin is a free gift by the blood of Jesus Christ. And any man or any woman who teaches that you will always be a sinner is stomping underfoot and dishonoring the precious blood of Jesus Christ. They are making of non-effect the most powerful element in the universe, the blood of God. I'm astounded by the hardness of the heart of the American church. I rejoice with you that many of you know that what I'm saying is true and you have gained the victory in Jesus Christ. I love you. You're my, you're my mother, my father, my brother, my sister, even as Jesus said. We're family. Well, we have just a few minutes left in this broadcast today. I want to pray for you. Lord, I come in the name of Jesus. And I bind the power of darkness, oppression of discouragement, of despair. I bind the power of sin in my brother and in my sister. And I say, in the name of Jesus Christ, I set you free. I release healing for you in the name of Jesus. I bind up the powers of darkness, the curses of darkness against your life. And I set you free in the name of Jesus to walk clean before him, rejoicing in his wonderful, wonderful love 
Thank you, Jesus. I pray in your name. Amen. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Pastor Ray from the National Prayer Chapel. You're welcome to write to me at Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Again, it's the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Now, you're also welcome to go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com that's nationalprayerchapel.com I'm very grateful to those of you who have already begun to give tithes and offerings for the radio costs for the month of November we are already on our way I'm very grateful to you I know only Jesus can prompt a person to give Thank you for obeying and doing what he's asked you to do. My brother, my sister, I love you. I wish I could meet each of you in person. Some of you live a long way away, Panama or Alaska or some other foreign place. I wish I could meet you too. It's time to get real with Jesus. It's time to lay aside the fun and games. It's time to stop pretending we can't leave our sin. It's time to stop believing the lies of the modern church that causes the pagan to scorn us. It's no longer time to bring people into the church with entertainment and dinners and foolishness. It's time to bring people into the church on the true word of Jesus Christ, that they need to be born again, that they need to be made new, that they need to leave their sin, and that there's power in the blood of Jesus to wash and cleanse and transform them into new creatures in Christ Jesus. It's time to get real with Jesus, and it's time to get real with ourselves and with our families and with others. If you'd like to be a part of the National Prayer Chapel, you are more than welcome to come on Sunday morning. We have a small house church. We have empty chairs. You're welcome to come. You can call me at 703-489-1785 or go online and go to nationalprayerchapel.com and there you'll find the map and directions. Do you understand how serious this is? It's time for the fun and games to be over. It's time for us to get real and follow Jesus and lay our lives down for him and our finances down for him. It's time to stop being an American and become a Christian. God bless you, my brother, my sister. I love you. I'll talk to you soon. Sure.